Good morning, church. You may be seated comfortably in your seats. Welcome. Oh, knock over the equipment here. Sorry, Maya. Welcome to the well. Welcome everyone live streaming, joining us online. Uh, we thank you and appreciate your desire to hear the truth of God in the ministries of this church in our worship service this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for those that have joined us in your church in this place this morning. We ask that you would give them the freedom to open their hearts, to hear your word, to hear your truth, to hear your message today, and that it would positively affect their life, their relationship with you, and their worship of you from this day forward. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I can't say enough about our children's ministry from week to week. The ability for a young family to get up and come and bring their kids, know that they're well cared for, they're taught the word of God, and it's a safe environment. I want to always thank those that participate in leading and educating our kids in God's truth. What time is it, folks? Kingdom, Kingdom kids, right? Children, gleefully go back and meet your leaders. Right on. Let's give them a hand. Look at all of these kids. That's what we're here for, the next generation of believers. Awesome. Seeing as how I'm standing here, we're going to move right into announcements. And the first one is the M6 Men's Gathering on Thursday night this week. Can you believe it's this week? M6, meal at 6, men at 6, ministry at 6. What it isn't, no money at 6. No mommy at 6. Mommy's not here to help set up or take down. I thank all of you men that have signed up on the cart, have texted me, emailed me, whatever, and said you're going to be here. If you'd like to be here to help set up, and you can do that. Uh, if you were here between 4 and 4.30, we're going to set up some tables and chairs. Now, don't get scared. There's no tablecloths, no flowers on the table, no kind of, this is men. We put meat on the table. That's what happens here. There's no map at 6. The fellows that are coming from out of the area, guys just put it in the navigator. They put it in their phone, right? And, and then we send up smoke signals of meat to draw them in when they get close. We don't know how many men are going to be here, but we are optimistic that the Lord is working in the hearts of dozens of men. We're going to have a worship team comprised of members of three different churches in the valley. We're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to start a ministry in this valley and specifically at this church with our own men of iron sharpening iron, men being the spiritual leaders of their home, which is God's plan. And this is the kickoff for that. If you are a man, you are in this body, you're live streaming, you're going to be in the area, and you're going to be in town on Thursday evening. There is no good reason for you to not be here at the well, being a welcoming committee for this ministry to the other men in the valley. We are really encouraged about where we're going to grow in the valley. I want to be able to go to the lumber yard, to the restaurant, to the tire shop, 
and go, there's a man of God. I know that man of God. I know he's a man of God. That's what we want to promote here. Please consider making it. Sign up on the sheet. My goodness, we've got at least two sheets full of names out there now. Really going to be a time. Let's pray about that for Thursday night. This is our last gathering as a church family. Father, you know what you're going to do. You're going to bring the men here that need to be here to be touched by your love and a relationship with you. Father, we don't know who you're bringing, but we know you're bringing men. And we know we're bringing many men that love you and have an abiding relationship with you. We just ask that you'd be able to shine through those that will be here, your love and a relationship with you and its life-changing effects from darkness to light. Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, My name is Kathy. I am part of the women's ministry team here. And um, they, whoever they is, ask me sometimes to give a praise report of events that we have had. I'm always a little reluctant because I'm not sure how the event will go. And so, you know, if I think, okay, you know, do I have to make up something, you know, if it's not too good? But... um, but I do want it, so if I don't do it sometime, it's not that the event wasn't good. But um, I do want to tell you about two events that we've had recently in October. Uh, one was the prayer walk, and it was small, but it was great. It was really great to pray for all of you and to pray for other people in this valley, believers, non-believers, young and old. Um, and it was a really great time to, for us to walk through areas and pray on those locations. Um, And so we did that. Uh, We might do that again. And we had a worship evening last night. And I just want to say it was um, uplifting, inspiring, editing, edifying, encouraging. Uh, It was really um, a great time that we had together. And I want to thank Shiloh and Gloria for, again, sharing their... um, yeah, musical ability, their worship heart, worshiping heart with us, and for Christine and Danelle for sharing uh, how God has worked in their lives. Um, that was pretty amazing. So last night we kind of went with the flow a little bit. I wanted to read this psalm. I was going to read it last night, but again, we kind of did other things. So anyway, this is Psalm 116, and it's from the Living Bible. I love the Lord because he hears my prayers and answers them. Because he bends down and listens, I will pray as long as I breathe. How kind he is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall live, yes, in his presence here on earth. O Lord, you have freed me from my bonds and I will serve you. I will worship you here in your presence here with your people. Amen. Well, that, uh, that same God that uh, Kathy just read about in Psalms is uh, leading 18 of us down to Mexico next Sunday at 8 a.m. So this is uh, our last Sunday here, and I just want to uh, kind of update everybody on a couple things. Uh, We've got a couple of slides here. We found out just last week the two families that we're going to actually be building for. So 
There is, that is the, uh, let me get my little shade here, the um, Mieja Elizondo family, and that is Jeanette. She's 33 years old, um, and her two kids, Jesus and Sayumi. Um, and uh, Jeanette sells clothes, um, and she earns $310 a month. Um, she bought her land because uh, uh, to build a home for them, the uh, people that we're building homes for have to own the land that we build the house on. The land cost her $8,920, and she still owes $1,333 on that land. She pays $166 a month, and she earns $310 a month. Um, her family's all from Ensenada. Uh, she said work-wise, she actually sells sandwiches during the week as a full-time job. On the weekends, she sells secondhand clothing, um, and she tries to only work when the kids are in school so that she can be home to take care of them. Um, she got the land from uh, some help for, through her brother's father. Um, she really thanked the Lord that she had enough money to make the down, down payment, and like I said, now pays $166 uh, a, a month. And she said, I would like a house so my kids can grow up in a better place where they can be safe and where it doesn't affect their health. So this is one of the families that by the end of next week will have a new home. Uh, the second family is the Salinas Naranjo family. Uh, this is Andreas, who's 29 years old, his wife Rosa, who's also 29. They've got three kids. Natalia, who's eight, Andreas, who's seven, and Marco Antonio, who's nine months. Um, Andreas works as a maintenance guy on semi-trucks, and he earns $350 a month. Um, they bought their property for $2,200, and they don't owe any money left on that. They're also from Ensenada. He met his wife in high school, um, and they uh, got married a few years after that. Um, his wife doesn't work because she's got three kids. She stays home and takes care of that. And his comments about the home is that they can't afford anything bigger because they don't have enough money. So that's why we're going down to build them a house. And his interest or his desire is to be able to stay dry during the rainy season. And because there's scorpions that come into their house, uh, into where they live now that's un, you know, unsecure and is very dangerous and scary for the kids. So these are the two families that we're going to be building for over the next week. And um, be, you know, we will be praying for these families and certainly encourage you to do that same thing. Um, the second thing is out on the, uh, the welcome card, and I think both and on the table out in the hallway, is a little card where you, and I really encourage you to do this, can write a verse of scripture and put your name on it. And if we can get enough of these, and it can be in English or in Spanish, if you know Spanish or want to get someone to translate it for you, we're going to put these in photo albums and give one of each to each of the families. So we're going to give a photo album full of verses of scripture to each family. So we need you to grab a piece of paper today, uh, put a verse of scripture that just is meaningful to you, put your name on it. You can drop it in any of the, uh, the donation boxes, find me, give it to me, uh, but we'd really encourage you to uh, complete those today. Um, you know, I've been doing this for more than 25 years, and I learned a long time ago that I needed to, because it was a little bit of a struggle the first handful of years, to trust the Lord. 
trust the Lord in everything related to this trip, as far as who goes on the trip and the money we need for the trip, safety on the trip, and the Lord has so amazingly met every need, every trip, and he's done it again on this trip. And you know, I, we've been up here and we had a taco bar, we've done lots of things to raise money. So as of uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, there had been, and there's three churches that are participating and really partnering in this, uh, the First Baptist Church down the street, the Orchard, which is a church that Kathy and I used to go to in Virginia, and then obviously us here. So from a contribution standpoint, um, the Baptist Church raised a little bit over $9,000 that they've contributed to the overall uh, need in building the homes. The Orchard was able to contribute about $7,200, and here at the Orchard, we had 50, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's a faux pas at the well. Uh, <laughs> I know where I am. Uh, we uh, were able to collect $15,500. So we have a total, have a total of uh, close to 32000 and that's more than what we actually needed to build the houses, so we are good to go. Um, so the last thing we're going to do is I'm going to ask the people who are here that are going to Mexico uh, next week to come up. So that's uh, Matt. I don't know if Matt is here. Josie is, should be running up. Uh, Dennis, Michaela, come on up. Oh, Matt is here. Good. Come on up, Matt. Up here. Come on, Michaela. Walk up. Matt, walk up. Dennis, walk up. And then uh, Bill's going to join us, and Bill's going to pray just for those of us who are here and many people who are down the street coming from Virginia who are going to be coming next week. So, yeah, just come on in here, guys. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you that you tell us and teach us to trust you, and you are trustworthy. And so, God, we pray for the team from Virginia, the Orchard, from our brothers and sisters up the street at First Baptist, and from the team that you have assembled from the beginning of time that you knew would be going to Ensenada and Maniadero to, uh, to build a house for the two families that you chose, God, that desperately need um, a home um, for their safety, for their protection, for their health, uh, God, for their, for their well-being. Uh, so, God, thank you for all that you have done. We pray, uh, Lord, for your provision to continue for safety uh, for the teams as they travel, uh, God, and mostly for the hearts of everybody. Lord, would you prepare every heart for the team that is going, God, and, um, and so that they can just be not only uh, the builders, uh, uh, Father, but, Lord, that they would, they would share their love uh, for you uh, with the families and all the people that they encounter. Uh, God, would you use this for your purposes, uh, Lord? And, uh, God, as you always do, uh, we will trust you for the bigness of everything that is going to happen uh, just through the building of these uh, two homes because it is so much bigger than that. Uh, and we, we know that, um, and we are so thankful th for that. So, Father, thank you uh, for what you have done. Thank you for the generosity of your people, God. Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for how you have prepared for everything that is supposed to happen uh, because it is, Lord, your will. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, Lord. Amen. Mission team. Um, the first announcement I have is very appropriate. It's a tamale fundraiser. 
that Team Challenge is doing in light of them going down to Mexico and building the houses. Not the same thing, don't get, don't get it wrong. So Team Challenge, we've come alongside of them for years, and they're basic, I mean, they're part of this church. They come out here multiple times a year, and we go down and do worship with them. And it's just, they're, they're just a great organization. I know a lot of the ladies go down and pray with them on a weekly basis, so thank you for that. But they're having a tamale fundraiser. They're, they're, they want the pre-order um, coming up soon. There's flyers like, that look like this, um, and up there as well, um, for pork and chicken tamales. So, and they are actually off the hook. They are really good. They make them all themselves there, and it's really good. So pre-order, if you have any questions, you can ask me, but you can call Maria directly, and she's in charge, and get your pre-orders in, and then they'll have you come down to Team Challenge and pick them up. So everybody order at least four or five dozen a piece. So, and if you get tired of them, you can just hand them to me because, yeah, because I'm not, you can tell I'm lack of food here. Um, so the next announcement I have is different ways to give here at the well. Um, first and foremost, God calls us to be cheerful givers. So remember that first and foremost before you ever give any giving. Just give it up to the Lord, have him put it on your heart. But there's ways to do this. And they did a great job here, our tech crew of this sheet. And it's very self-explanatory. It goes over how, do you, how you give in person, by mail, the church app, and the website. And they also added this little thing. It's called the QR code, I think. I don't know. This is technical for me. And you just put your camera up to that, and it automatically links it right to it, and you can give different ways to give. So if you have any questions, Jordan, yell out back there. He's very quiet. But anyway, ask Jordan. He's, he's our technical guy. So, and so that. So, um, right now we're going to um, lead into worship. So, if you could stand with me, I'm going to pray. Good morning. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been on a journey together as a church family, kind of coming what we would call back to the basics. Back to the basics. And in God's wonderful time, as we wrap up 2023 and move into 2024, I really feel like as a church family, uh, God is calling us to a little bit of a, a regroup. A little bit of a check-yourself moment, and as elders, uh, we are seeking the Lord for His vision for 2024, and we're excited and enthused about that. But part of that is, is really important sometimes in my life, and maybe in your life, in your family. Sometimes you need to do a check. You need to do, you know, just a, how we doing? Are we, are we drifting? Are we doing well? Is everything, you know, as it should? Or, or maybe some things need a tune-up. Some things just need to be looked at. And uh, we were in the Gospel of Mark uh, earlier this year, and we're still there. But, uh, you know, we saw that Jesus had these uh, encounters with the Pharisees, and, and in particular uh, regarding the Sabbath, that there were some pretty intense con- confrontations because the Pharisees had flipped the Sabbath uh, from something that was meant to be a blessing to man into a burden, right, into rule-keeping. And, and in fact, because they had done that and become, had become so... Uh, rules-oriented, tradition-oriented, their hearts were hardened, and they couldn't even celebrate healing, miraculous healing. And so that sent us off into a little uh, mini-series, a little off-ramp, a little tangent, into saying, well, is it possible for us as a church family, uh, here on Sundays or even uh, in our regular programming, to kind of drift a little bit and lose the heart and the, the real passion and the meaning behind what we do and why we do it. And so for the last couple of weeks, we looked at fellowship. Fellowship. And, and, you know, the response has been wonderful because I think for some who had maybe over the years 
defined fellowship as activities and therefore optional for us to be challenged as a church to say that, no, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you were put in fellowship. It's automatic. And so it's not a question of, well, do I want to participate? The question really becomes is, Lord, how do I participate? Because I'm in fellowship, right? The sign out there should say, Ojai Valley Christians in fellowship. And so the question isn't sort of this, again, privatized, isolationist, separationist sort of faith that is so common in in the culture. It's really like, no, you put your faith in Jesus. You were baptized into the body of Christ, called the church. You've been given gifts, talents, resources. You are in fellowship. Right? We are commoners, and as commoners, we are active participants. Active. You are engaged. And that's just not for here. If you, for some reason, were to go to Redemption or Calvary Chapel or First Baptist, the same thing applies because it's biblical. It's biblical. It's inescapable. You know, so sometimes when you hear us or people talk about serving or cheerful giving or whatever it might be, you might, like, want to run to the next church because they don't, you know, I just get to sit and I just get to come and go and I just get to, here it is, here it is, be fed, right? The biblical truth is if you're going to an evangelical Bible-believing church, you are an active participant by default because you are in fellowship as a Christian. It's inescapable, okay? Now, I have learned in 30 years in my own walk and almost 30 years in ministry, sometimes the simplest truths are the most profound. If you'll let it sink from here to here. See, I think sometimes we like this accumulation of knowledge. We like to intellectualize, analyze, debate, dialogue, and all it is is a deflection from obedience. We like to listen to this podcast, read that book, and we feel that knowledge acquisition equals obedience. No, obedience equals obedience. And so the simplest truth, as in you are in fellowship, you are an active participant. If you let that simple truth sink in, your whole Sunday experience changes. You coming here on Sunday are not to be a passive spectator. If you're a believer right now in fellowship, okay, just real quick, put your head on a swivel and look around. You are in fellowship. You are connected to one another. 1 Corinthians 12, right? The head can't say to the hand, I don't need you. There is mutual dependence. We talked about all the common R's last Sunday. We are linked, whether or not you like it. Now, again, in our culture, we liked options, Right? And we like, you know, at school or all these places, oh, we need volunteers. Oh, we need, oh, we need. And everyone kind of like, ah, I'm busy. Oh, you know, do I have to? Is that mandatory? Is that, is that right? Because we like personal peace and affluence and we like things just according to our plan. Any control freaks around here? Anybody like it just so? Right? Okay. Well, again, paradigm shift. Believer in Jesus, name written in the book of life. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Careful. 
Active participant in the body of Christ. Same woohoo. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 We got you on film. All you woohooers, we're going to be hitting you up for volunteer opportunities. So we looked at fellowship, and it's a paradigm shift. And, and I'm be honest with you, it can be pretty uncomfortable because we fall into habits, and maybe we were raised in certain ways, even in the church. Maybe you were raised in a church family that just kind of came and went and attended and were fed and kind of, you know, you called the shots. Well, that's why this is deep. This, that's why this is a heart issue. This is a, this is a surrender to your life, right? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, follow me. Well, this is a follow me moment because you're already in fellowship. The question is, Lord, what do I want? What do you want? What do you want me to do? Okay, that's the real question. And so we looked at fellowship, and then I was looking at this. And you know, the same thing happened with the Pharisees regarding this thing we call worship. We just sang a song that many of you are familiar with, and every time we sing it, the volume goes up in here, and it's just wonderful. Here I am to worship. Did you? Now, I know the singing went up, but did you, did we... Worship, because we said, here I am to worship. I'm not saying we didn't. But Jesus says this. Look in in, uh, Matthew 15. He's talking to the Pharisees. Matthew 15, 7 through 9, he says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men, all right? Look at the New Living. It's pretty powerful. Same thing. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm just, that, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, a full stop moment. I'm like, Lord, did what, was this just in vain? Last night with the ladies, was that in vain? Was that a farce? What's going on, right? And, and where do you look? How do you know? How do you know? It can sound really good, but it can be in vain. I was at a church down in San Diego They wanted their worship to be so well done that they hired professional, including non-believers, to come and lead worship because they wanted it done so well with excellence. And if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know that. Because they would do these songs really well done, played by musicians that it didn't mean a thing to. It was just notes on a page. Right? So, so, like fellowship, these words that we take for granted, worship is one of those words that I wonder, have we drifted away from the biblical meaning of worship? Do we, are we reminded of what, what is worship? Really, really, what is it, you know? Because in, in, when, when he says it's in vain, it's senseless, it's pointless, it's futile. Because, again, the Jews had elevated man-made teachings, man-made doctrines above God, and now it was a man-centered thing. 
Well, I wonder how much in the church, potentially even here, our worship becomes man-centered, instrument-centered, sound-centered, right? And we drift, and we have an experience, but it was in vain, because it wasn't really about God at its core. What it was, was about all the trappings of musicality and not really about biblical worship. And so today and the next few Sundays, we're going to come all the way back to this truth about what is biblical worship. And I'm even challenged because even this morning in our, in our 8 o'clock meeting, words matter. You know, that's something, you know, Bill caught that from you 13 years ago. Words matter. And so we even hear... You know, we have a road map, and we go through the road map, and one of the, one of the uh, line items on the road map is after announcements, right? Who's going to pray before worship? Pray before worship. So have we been teaching you for 13 years that worship is the singing part? And then after the singing is done, we're no longer worshiping because now we go into the sermon part. And then inadvertently, we're teaching you that worship is just a component, a segment of your Christian life rather than the totality of your life. See, this is where church can inadvertently be creating our own problems. Because if you're here at the 10 a.m. worship service, what, what happens when the worship is over? Do you stop worshiping? Now, we talked about this about the church, right? That the church is the people. So technically, when we say ready, break, at the end of this, whenever we're done today, you don't stop being the church. Church never ends, amen? Because you're the church. In the same way, you're going to see today and moving forward, you never stop worshiping. Worship never ends. And yet, we ask you to pray before worship. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just telling you how we have to be careful. Or, and a beautiful night happened with a worship night, but is worship special events? Nothing wrong with having focused worship event nights, unless we're inadvertently teaching you that worship only happens here from 10 to 11.30 or special events. Versus the biblical truth that as a believer, we are called to worship 24-7, 365. Your life is meant to be a worship song. We never stop worshiping. Again, simple and yet, even the way we do church in America, we compartmentalize it. So shame on us if we inadvertently are teaching you to compartmentalize your faith, including this thing we call worship, right? Alan Carr says this, just because you went to a church and got pumped up by some loud preacher does not mean that you had worship. Just because you did it the same way this week as your forefathers did 200 years ago does not mean you worshiped. You worshiped when you encountered God as he is revealed to us in his word. 
You worshiped when your spirit was moved by his spirit through the proclamation of his truth. I love that because right away it just blows up this whole idea that worship is the music. If there's one thing you need to take away from here is that worship is not limited to the music. Take that away. Now, how many of you love the worship here? The music. Worship through music. Let's say it correctly here. We have been blessed with incredible talents and giftings and people who have stepped up and are willing to do that. But the whole point of all of this is for you to encounter God. That's where it is rooted in. That's why when people want to be on the worship team, the first thing we want to do is ask you, how's your walk with Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you right now, we are never going to pay a non-believing professional musician to lead worship for you. That, that, that's, that just is, you got to think about that, because this is a spiritual thing. This is a spiritual entity, the living organism, the church. So, you know, I would rather, I would rather have a basic four-chord strumming acoustic lover of Jesus up here than I... Grammy-winning, non-believing guitarist up here. That's just the truth. Because that four-chord strumming acoustic guitar player is going to lead you into worship. Biblical worship. Because you're going to be united in spirit. Because you're one. You're in fellowship. You're commoners in Christ. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to peel back the layers and we're going to start, it's going to sound real basic, and, and if you're new to this, it's a great time for you to be here, right? Worship. The etymology, or the, where the word originates from in the English, is actually worth-ship. Worship, etymology, in English, worth-ship. The state of being worthy. Okay, so worship is about Somebody, in this case, God, being worthy. That is the genesis of our worship, is that God is worthy. Amen? Now, here's the challenge with that. In our culture, we continuously vet and evaluate if something's worth it. Uh, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of getting this new outfit. I just don't know if it's worth it. I just don't know if it's worth it. Hey, we got invited to, you know, this, this function. Yeah, but that's a lot of time and energy. I just don't know if it's worth it. Right? Is it worth it? I don't know, man. That's, I'm going to get home late. I just don't know if it's worth it. Right? And then, and then the other way, we've all done things pretty crazy that, because it was what? Worth it. Right? When my wife and I first started dating, I was at UCLA. She was at San Diego State. You know, and, and so every Friday I would get off class and I would, I would fight L.A. traffic rush hour because I wanted to get down to San Diego to spend time with her because she was worth it. Amen. <laughs> I got an amen. I got an amen for my wife. Right? Because it was worth it. Some of you, Dale, 
tea time, sunrise, first one. You get up, you get dressed, you get there, right? Because that's worth it. That early tea time is worth it, right? We've all done things. We all go out of our way because somehow in the algorithm, it's worth it, right? And so there's, there's three I came across. this pretty interesting article. When we're trying to decide if something's worth it, usually there's three, there's three categories. They, uh, there's the utility of it, like functional, how, what, what's going to happen, the utility of it, the enjoyment of it, and the cost of it. Three basic broad categories when we're trying to decide if something is worth it, right? Now, unfortunately, this mentality has bled into church. And if we're honest, sometimes Saturday night, Sunday morning, or even Thursday night coming, we'll ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth it to get up and go Sunday morning? Is it worth it to go Thursday night? And we bring this sort of honestly self-centered, self-pleasing, vetting algorithm of is it worth it into the world of church. And this is, again, one of those really, again, simple and profound truths we really need to, to chew on because we live in a self-centered culture where everything, much of it is vetted through, is it worth it to me? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And unfortunately, people stop coming to church, or it's sporadic, because it's not worth it. Any one of those components. It's very interesting, right? Think about it. Uh, I don't know. Do you really want to go? Uh, is it worth it? Got to get in my car on Thursday night. I just had a busy night at work, a busy day at work. I got to get home, get changed. I got to be there. What time, Randy? I just don't know if it's worth it. Constant struggle, right? Versus worship being based on worthiness, okay? There's a song called Build My Life. It goes like this. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. God's worth has a response. Because you are worthy, we live for you. That's worship. Amen? You see, it's a response. Worship is not an emotion. It's not necessarily an activity. Worship is a response to the worth of God. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you, our Lord and God. So, you know, I know I'm going to be sensitive, and just take this the right way. We come to church faithfully because God is worth it. It's not about if I think it's worth it. God alone is worthy. We get up and we come because he is worthy. It has nothing to do with how I feel about it. It has nothing to do with my algorithm of worth. 
I come here not just because it's my J-O-B. If I was a civilian on Sunday mornings, as a dad, as a husband, as just a believer, I get up and I go to church because God alone is worthy. I get up because he is worthy. That's worship. That's worship. And so when people ask you, hey, man, I, I, know, I see you get up and you, you leave every Sunday morning. Why do you go to church? Because God is worthy. Because God is worthy, right? I've been blessed by Randy. You know, he, he invites me, takes me to Dodger games. and just, There's a lot of energy resources that go into that. Because in his mind, that's worth it. He has a great ministry there. He blesses many people, come up, ushers and concessionaires throughout the game, will ask for prayer from Randy. It's just beautiful. It's worth it to him. The time and energy is worth it to him, right? Same way. And it's not about him. Now, he gets the blessings of it. He enjoys being there. Same thing. We come here because God is worth it. Now, the incredible byproduct is that we get blessed. Amen? Think about that. Think about God's economy. In the church, you get up, you get dressed. Mom, why do we got to go to church? Because God is worth it. Why do we got to go again? Because God alone is worthy. And then you come here and you're blessed. You came here focused on God because of God to worship God from that heart and in turn you leave here incredibly blessed that's God's economy that's God's economy okay and so we you got to move past the etymology so worship comes from worship God alone is worthy right there right then and there if you've been challenging if you've been on the fence about should I go to church should I God alone is worthy. There's not, that's the basis. His worth. You get up, right? And the challenging thing is how many of us make it to doctor's appointments generally on time? How many of us get to that movie theater to get on time, right? How many of us get to places early because we want the best seats? Why? It's worth it. It's so worth it. We got to go early. Why do we got to get early? Because I want to get in line. Because I want the best seat. Or I want, because right? it's worth it. Well, bring that whole idea of worth to the church and watch what God does in your life and in the life of this church. It might set some of you free because you're just basing your life on the worth of God, on who God is. That's like so cool, right? So let's go into some words in the Bible. In the Old Testament, very familiar uh, passage, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us what? Worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You see how that is all God-centric? Right? That whole psalm is about who he is, his worth, his attributes. 
Now, that word worship is actually shakah, which means to bow down or prostrate oneself. And this word and the New Testament word, Matthew 2, 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to what? Worship him. So in the Old Testament, shakah, which means to bow down and prostrate. This is proskuneo, which means to prostrate oneself in homage before another, to kiss reverently, which involves stooping down to kiss, throw oneself on the ground to show awe or respect before some deity. It's the recognition of being in the presence of God, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound, profound reverence. If you want to know what biblical worship is, shaka and proskuneo, it means falling flat on your face before God. He's worthy. It means being consciously aware that the God of the universe, that through faith in Jesus we get to call Abba, is in our presence. And even if we don't do it physically, internally, in our soul, in our inner being, we are prostrate before Him, humbled in reverence, in awe of His majesty. And out of that heart condition, we might sing or we might not. You might put your hands up. But that heart situation is a far cry from did it sound really good and did that sound cool? Because much of our worship is man-centered. It's technical and it's instruments and it's vibe and it's emotion and it's hype and it's all this. And somewhere We've drifted from the fact that true worship begins when you prostrate yourself before the God of the universe because he is worthy. That is worship. That is worship. Matthew 9:18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Look what happens in Revelation. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Even in heaven, the elders fall down before the face of God, in the presence of God. And yet for us to do this, I can't do that. What are they going to think about me? I'm nervous. I don't want to put my hands up. What are they going to think about me? I don't want to sing really loud because what are they going to think about me? I don't know if it's the flesh, the world, or the devil who's come into the church and just twisted worship from being all about God to being about me and not looking or sounding silly and making a fool of myself when it's not about us at all. The elders. Can you imagine Revelation 19? Go ahead, put that back up for me, Chris. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Can you imagine? 
I ain't going to do that. I'm scared what they're going to think about me. How many? Oh, three of them are down there. Should I do that? I don't know if I want to fall down and worship. Might make me look silly in front of the other elders. Can you imagine that going on in their head? Uh, I don't think so. I think what happens at that moment, there's a revelation of the presence of God, and it's that fast, and they're on their face. And yet, worship in the church has become so me-centered. Where does that come from? Where's the freedom to just worship God who you get to call Abba, Father, who loves you dearly, who is blessed by your worship? I mean... Randy, can you imagine your, your little grandson, you know, and rather than like saying, Papa, yeah, he's here. He's like, oh, no, I don't want to look silly around Papa. I'm not going to show anything. Uh, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be cool. Gampy. It's Gampy, yeah, Gampy. Gampy, I'm going to be cool because I don't want my boys, my other two-year-olds, to think I'm weird about Gampy. So I'm not going to express my love to you, Gampy. We'll just do this. We're just going to... I'm, I'm just going to do hi. I'm just going to wave to you, Gampy, because I don't want to look silly for my other two-year-olds, right? I don't want them to make fun of me because I love Gampy, and I want to express my love to Gampy, and I want to go run and hug Gampy. I just, I, I'm scared of what they're going to think about me. Gampy loves Hank, freely expressing his love for Gampy. Amen. That blesses you. And yet, we have gotten so in our heads that we've drifted from just worshiping God, falling before him, because he's God. He is God. I mean, it's amazing. It's not even emotion. This is a response. This is a genuine response an understanding of being in the presence of God. J. Vernon McGee, worship is acknowledging God's worthiness to be worshipped, his worthship. We can do that in song or in surrender, in obedience or in thought. That being said, we can worship on our feet or our faces. Our posture isn't the priority. It only reflects the heart. Victor Hugo once said that the soul is on its knees many times regardless of the position of the body. Our souls need to be prostrated before God. It's a heart-soul issue. It's a heart-soul issue. Uh, Brother Mark, can I borrow you just for a second? I'm so glad you wore shorts today. See, this is a man. I've known him 20 years about. Who has a heart of worship who leaks often. And he's wearing shorts. Now, I could have someone here wearing a suit and tie, very proper, but who worships only with his lips and appearance. My point is, is that God is looking at this man's heart. I have nothing about you know, getting dressed up. I was raised in a church where he kind of dressed up and all that. 
except for the fact if it, your worship becomes about me and what I look like. Right? And so here, we have great diversity, freedom, because, thank you, Mark, what, what we really want is your heart to be prostrate before God. Whether you're wearing shorts or a three-piece suit, it's okay. As long as you're right this way and you're worshiping this way. That's what makes it beautiful, right? Now, when we first moved in here, we had this card. And I think we're going to re- revamp them. And this was in all the seat backs and, you know, we're trying to set a, set a course here as a church. And so one of the items on this information card, it said, we're glad you're here. It was designed for first-time visitors. One of them was food and drinks. Okay. Now, if you happen to have a food and drink right here, it's okay. Right? Food and drinks. Please do not bring any food or drinks into the worship center during service. We invite you to join us in the commons after service for refreshments. So, of course, that would be up there. So, please do not bring any food or drinks into the worship center during service. Why? Because we're afraid of stains on the carpet? Because we're afraid of stains on the chairs? Because some churches would be. We intentionally put that in there for an intentional worship-directed motive and reason. When we come here, the reason we ask you not to bring in a Starbucks or a donut and chomp away is because we believe when the church gathers, we are in the presence of God. And it's not something to be cavalier and flippant about. That is why. Now, the way, I mean, again, believe me, I've been 30 years in ministry and I know all the ways to try to attract people. So there are attractional churches that want you to bring in a a Coke or a coffee or whatever and throw your feet up and sort of just lounge at church to make you more comfortable as a way to get more people in the door. I got to tell you, we believe that God is present. And it's the God of the universe who is holy, holy, holy. And when we gather, it is a holy moment. And it's not something that we come in and we want to sip lattes while we're singing to the God of the universe, while we're praying to the God of the universe, that we go into sort of this passive movie mode and we're chomping on popcorn watching the show. That's why that's in there. We believe that this is reality. And that in our corporate time together, there is a reality of the presence and the power of God in this room. And that we want you to have every opportunity to focus on the presence of the reality of God. Right? Now, many of you know that I was raised in the Catholic Church. And one of the things, one of the things that I really appreciated about the Catholic Church was when you walk into a Catholic church or some of the other big cathedrals, you're in the presence of God. There is a holy and reverence about being in those big cathedrals. That's why the cathedrals in the Europe were made that big, because when you walked in, you feel this little. That's why the cathedrals were made that way. Was when you walk in, you are in awe. It was designed to humble you about the majesty of God. 
Well, growing up in the Catholic Church, I remember there was a seriousness to it. There was a, like a reality, and you didn't goof around, right? And there was a holiness and a reverence to it. And I think sometimes in our desire to be not like that, we've lost the holiness and the reverence of God. We've, we, and, and, and as a result, we've lost our way when it comes to worship. And we've drifted away from him being worthy to me, being comfortable. And that just messes up all of worship, right? Philip Yancey says this. Church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships, but to worship God. If it fails in that, it fails. I have learned that the ministers, the music, the sacraments, and other trappings of church are mere promptings to support the ultimate goal of getting worshipers in touch with God. To worship is to remember who owns the house. So when we gather in the presence of the owner, we take it kind of serious. And it matters. And there's a holiness and a reverence, which isn't dictated by what we're wearing. It's, it's here. It starts here. Okay? Remember in Isaiah? Right? Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is given this vision, and there is an immediate response of worship. Woe is me. I have seen God. And because I've seen God, now I see who I am, and I'm not God. He is God, and I am not. And I think one of the values of gathering to worship with the right biblical construct is we are reminded he is God and we are not. He is in control and we are not. He is to be obeyed. His will be done, not my will be done. But we kind of have drifted from that in the church, that humble reverence, right? And I think it would be good to, to come back to that. Just start to come back to that. So worship is rooted in relationship. It's personal and communal, just like fellowship. And it's also not something we compartmentalize. Okay, really important. And in that, I was thinking of, of before we come to communion, just an opportunity for us to kind of check ourselves with worship and maybe confess if we need to. If we see worship as just 
a compartment of our life or a compartment of church, what we can start to do is live separate lives from worship, from our life being a totality of worship. Look at Jonah. You remember in Jonah, God speaks to Jonah, really great, and, and, and he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He takes the first boat to go the opposite way to Tarshish, right? He's like, nope, peace out. Not doing that. I don't like them very much, right? Look what he says, though, in John 1. So a big storm comes up. The crew's trying to figure out why the storm is happening, right? So look at this. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Okay, remember, Jonah's on the ship going the opposite way. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Get the context here. God told him to go to Nineveh. He jumps on a ship and gets going to Tarshish. Big storm. Dudes are trying to figure it out. He says, uh, it's me. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Bro, you're in disobedience right now. What do you mean you worship the Lord? You're like in straight-up disobedience right now. And all of this is because of your disobedience. And yet you have the, the ability to say to these dudes, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Yep, that's him, but I'm, do- I'm going this way. You see what happens when we disengage from true worship? Now we just segment it, and now we can live in disobedience and still say we worship God. That is a power. When I read that, I was like, oh, who's seeing this? Who's seeing this? I profess to be a follower of Jesus, and I profess to be worshiping God, but I am willful disobedience right now. There's a problem with that. And the problem with that is that you are shaming the God of the universe. The problem with that is that you are smearing his character and his nature. When you profess to be a worshiper of God, and you're living in willful disobedience like Jonah, it doesn't match. To be a worshiper and to be in willful disobedience, it's not right. It's not right. And so there's a check. There's a check for us who profess to be worshipers of God through faith in Jesus. Right? Like this, it says, a biblical theology of worship will result in worship that produces a change of heart. The worshiper will have an ever greater desire to love and obey the Lord. Worship and service go hand in hand. Worship of God should propel us into greater obedience. Jesus said to those who love him will keep his commandments. If we say we love and worship him but do not obey him, our worship is worthless. Worship should propel us into a greater love, which should propel us into greater obedience. So if you're struggling in an area of obedience... Maybe you should check your worship. Check who you're bowing down to. 
Are you prostrating yourself before the God of the universe or the world, the flesh? Materialism, lusts, money, greed, idolatry. Maybe you're bowing down to something other than the God of the universe. And that's the root of your choices. It's who you're choosing to worship. It's a worship choice. You're counting other things more worthy, more worth it than the things of God. And it's playing out in the choices you're making in your life. And so when we work with people and we try to give counsel and everything, after a while, you know, it comes to a point where like, you know, here's what we're seeing. And so maybe we have to look at the root of where this is coming from. Why, are you, why is this so worth it to you? You're making all these decisions that, that reflect what's worth to you, right? It's a worthy issue. It's a worth issue. And this is where the devil gets in and convinces us that what I want is worth it more than what God wanted. Remember in the garden? Right? Hey, Eve. It's worth it. You'll be like God. She's like, hmm. Oh. What happened in the garden? She decided that disobedience was more worth it than obedience. That's what it was. It was a value judgment based on what was more worthy to her. And sometimes in our life and in your life, you're going to have to say, Lord, why am I struggling with this? Why is this so worth it to me? Why is this is destroying my marriage? This is destroying my finances. This is destroying my testimony. What in me is driving me that this is so worth it, even though I know it's disobedience? Ask yourself that question. Why in your algorithm is this issue of disobedience so worth it? That's where you start to ask God and he starts to reveal things. That's when he starts to do real heart surgery and heart transformation. When you start asking the real questions. Why is this so worth it to me? I know this might cost me my job. Why is this so worth it? Those are some real questions. What are you worshiping? Worth shipping, right? So you might live a separated life. Maybe in the area of worship, honestly, over the years, you got caught up that it's about the style and the sound and the singing. So you got caught up in the externals of worship. Maybe worship has become, over time, more about self and what you get out of worship and how you vet and judge worship. Maybe it's become self-centered rather than God-centered. And finally, maybe in your experience with worship, maybe it's become compartmentalized to Sunday only. And I get real serious about my worship at church. But then all the other days of the week, eh, I'll wait till Sunday to worship again because that's where I really worship versus a life of worship, okay? So I put these out there and I, I, I peel back the layers Because I believe when the church worships as God intended, when the church gets the reality, the revelation about what we do and why we do it, the Holy Spirit just explodes. Corporately and personally. 
And there is an enthusiasm, there is a joy, there is a power that comes when the church is worshiping God and on its face before God. That is an unstoppable entity. That is an unstoppable entity. But little by little, the world and the flesh and the devil have come in, and in the, in the arena of worship, we've made it more entertainment and more self and more about all the trappings of it. Everything but what it's supposed to be, the worthiness of God. The worthiness of God. You see, if for some reason the entire worship team were to get sick and you showed up and you'd say, hey guys, you know what? We're not going to have any music today, but we're still going to worship. See, our worship at this church is not dependent on musical instruments because the worship at this church is based on the worth of God. And we can still worship together whether or not there's instruments leading us in song. We got to come back to that. We got to come back to that, okay? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to have an opportunity for communion, and then we're going to come back up, and before we do a closing song, we'll just share a little bit more. So Father, thank you for bringing us back to the heart, the truth of worship. just one of those words that we hear so often and over time I think we just drift away from the simple profound powerful truth of what worship is all about and it's you you are worthy and worship is a response to you to a to this incredible revelation of who you are Isaiah had it. The elders in Revelation have it. People who met you, Jesus, bowed down, knelt before you. And yet we live in a culture that is so fearful and anxious about what other people think about us that we would, even, in, even if we wanted to kneel and prostrate ourselves before the God of the universe, the fear of man supersedes that for whatever reason. God, we come before you and just ask your forgiveness for what we've made worship into. And then, Father, I think of Jonah, who said he worships you and yet was in the middle of willful disobedience. Father, forgive us if we profess to be worshipers but are in willful disobedience. May our lives match our beliefs. May our creed match our conduct. So, Father, as we prepare for communion, I ask you to search our hearts. There's things we need to confess in the area of worship, making it what it is not designed to be. We've drifted. It's become self-centered, whatever it is. We take this moment to confess it, to ask for your forgiveness. We are humbled to come to the communion table 
Because it's a reminder that the God of the universe, creator of everything, sent Jesus Christ to die for us. That the God of the universe loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we come to the communion table in worship, in reverence and in awe of you. Humbled by the fact that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are your children. Our names are written in the book of life. So Father, as we come to the communion table, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If there's someone here who has not put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. If you need to put your faith in Jesus, do that this morning. Put your faith in Jesus for your salvation alone. Trust him in his death and resurrection that he paid the penalty for your sin that you could never have paid. Why? Because the God of the universe loves you that much and is offering you the free gift of salvation today. So Jesus, we come to the communion table again It's personal and it's communal. We're reminded of your personal love, but then we're reminded that we are part of the body of Christ. We do this in remembrance and we do this in worship this morning. Amen.